Welcome to Political OD episode 22. Uh, the protocol issues seem to be ever-present. Uh, it's still there. Uh, the EU, the UK, uh, with the Irish government in the background, all trying to find the next step uh, to resolve issues that everybody can see are going to persist for some time. Difficult to see still how that's going to get resolved between the UK position on its internal market and the EU on its internal market. The other big issue this week, of course, has been the Salmon Sturgeon clash of eagles. I think we've got time to talk about that later on. But the, the two issues I think this week we'll, we'll look at the budget uh, and then we'll talk a wee bit about this uh, roadmap that was uh, issued by the Northern Ireland Executive. Uh, starting on the budget, uh, it seems that it was a bit of a holding budget to around 2023. Uh, because the impact of the spending and the continued spending, it seems, until at least September, on many aspects of the response to COVID means that we don't really know where the economy is going to go to in the next couple of years. So Sunak has done his best to kind of balance things out and leave his options open by 2023. Is that fair? Yes, I think that's a fair point. And I mean, it wasn't um, an enviable position to be in being a mm -hmm. chancellor announcing a budget at this time so yes he's, he's tried to balance things up the sort of lockdown help that people are getting furlough and so on is to continue to September albeit you know that that's going to be slightly tapered and employers are going to to take a, a role in paying some of that what he probably did well to avoid was any great or any any great story that, that could be cast in a kind of negative light. I suppose the issue that the papers have kind of focused on today for the most part is this uh, rise in income taxes that's coming in. Personal allowances are going to be frozen until 2026, which will push low earners into tax and, and quite a lot of uh, middle earners potentially into the higher rate tax. That's if their salaries go up and... Um, uh, certainly in line with inflation. It's not a traditionally conservative budget because it squeezes those that uh, kind of section of middle earners that they would see as their support base traditionally. You know, the, the, the Labour leader, uh, Keir Starmer, pointed out he's probably right that there is time to reverse that before the next election, and that may well be Rishi Sunak's plan. That 2023 on corporation tax, it was being suggested this morning on radio that Perhaps that might not be such a big rise by then if the economy does fire back at a pace that and the tax receipts come in and the numbers kind of balance out a bit better. I got the impression Sunak was pretty committed to that, but at the same time, I don't think anybody knows what the next couple of years are going to produce in terms of, of taxes. I think that squeeze middle point, it looks like one of the impacts over the next few years is going to be a rise in, in inflation. Um, and of course, if you've got uh, the taxes kicking in or, or, or basically stable, it means that disposable income largely shrinks uh, because you're spending more on basic foods and day-to-day. And, 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 and I think in Northern Ireland, that's going to be particularly acute because, of course, we'll have the added costs and the reduced choices uh, down to um, the protocol. And I also thought that was something that Colin Eastwood missed uh, he was criticising, of course, uh, the corporation tax thing, saying that you know, in his constituency of FOIL across the board in Donegal, the corporation tax was only 12.5%, and at some point it looked like corporation tax uh, in, uh, in 
his constituency on his own doorstep would be 25. For me, it kind of highlights um, an obsession with the foreign direct investment that we have here in Northern Ireland, that that's the kind of be all and end all of, of uh, economic activity. And you're right, he should be looking at the, what, what's the, the kind of engine of the economy in terms of spending and all that kind of thing. It's how much disposable income people have. And if they have less and prices are higher, then you would expect our economy to stagnate to an extent anyway. So why isn't he, uh, why isn't he picking up on that? The, the other issue, of course, is that the, the, one of the biggest drivers in Northern Ireland has been small businesses. It's actually you know, a, a particular feature of our economy. And the issue there, if we accept that Sunak believes that small businesses are largely going to be uh, at the same rates of corporation tax, the big issue for small businesses is the impact of the protocol. It's no point in going on a budget issue when the people most impacted um, at the present time uh, aren't being impacted by corporation tax, but by something completely different that is, doesn't even get a mention. Yes, and it may be wildly off being with the figures here, but is it maybe something like 85% of businesses um, in, in Northern Ireland or 85% of economic activity accounts as, as small, smaller, medium? In the, private se- in the private sector, that's certainly true uh, it, 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 it may be I, I may have i may have got that wrong it yeah. may be higher or slightly higher or slightly lower but it's certainly it's very a, significant it's a very very significant yeah. share and i mean in, in all honesty for that section of the economy um levels of corporation tax aren't perhaps going to be a, a very uh, relevant kind of statistic because they're just not simply going to be making profits that will be taxed at that level or not much or not many profits that will be taxed at that level so you know the 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 corporation tax thing it's it's a signal it sort of cuts against the maybe arguably it cuts against the free trade message that the government has been wanting to put out but practically will it have that much significance i'm not so sure even in the republic where the corporation tax level is 12 and a half percent that actually is it's even less in real terms i think that's also true uh, in terms of a lot of the discussion on corporation tax, even in the UK, is that large companies, by the time you get through exemptions and reserves and all the myriad of exemptions under our tomb of tax code, that real corporation tax is, ends up being quite low in many times. And I, I suppose just that, that would bring us on to this kind of super deduction issue, because I would imagine that... Um, if you were looking at a tax bill and uh, you know you want you want to uh, you want to reduce it, but you'd be looking at investing in in, um, in plant and machinery and using this is it one hundred and thirty percent sort of capital gains allowance for for those kind of items and fifty percent for for some other assets. So um, you know the ability of companies to um, to, to to kind of finesse their their tax bill is not going to become no. Yes, for this budget anyway. Well, um, besides the the broad economic challenges, uh, we've mentioned that small businesses are being challenged by the protocol, by just the the general business position they're in at the present time, not least because of the COVID restrictions that are are in place at the moment. Robin Swan was on Nolan Live uh, last night. Uh, That would be the 3rd of March. One of the statements he made was, when he was talking about the roadmap that had just been announced by the Northern Ireland Executive, 
uh, was that we can't have people in complete darkness as to what comes next. Uh, do, do you think, Owen, that, um, that he's achieved that in the roadmap? No, I don't think he's really met that stipulation, has he? If, if there's one thing that characterizes this roadmap, it's that we're all in complete darkness as, as to what comes next or as to what triggers the various stages and everything else. It's an absolutely dizzyingly complicated document that really um, illuminates nothing. Nine pathways, various stages at nine pathways and five stages. So sort of 45 points of interest or whatever. And, you know, we, we, we've had this kind of argument that we shouldn't be led by dates. We shouldn't be led by data. We're not being led by anything in this in this document. It's just, you, you don't want to use the word fudge to talk about Northern Ireland politics because it's such a, a cliche. I think, did, did, did somebody even produce some stormant uh, fudge for sale at one stage? But that's what it is. And I get the, the sense that there's still... Um, that, that this is almost a political holding document because the, the paragraph that interested me, they, they, they said that a major kind of factor in the way that we're going to go is alignment with um, other jurisdictions across these islands. And of course, we have a major disagreement within our executive about which jurisdictions we should be aligned with. This document reflects that. It's basically a document to allow more horse trading more arguments over whether we follow an all-Ireland strategy with a jurisdiction in the South that doesn't have a vaccine programme that resembles ours in any way, or whether we go with the rest of the United Kingdom and particularly England, where they actually have some proper plans to open things up, even those, though those are far too slow, far too uh, conservative and everything else. I, I want to keep on the roadmap, but but maybe go off to one side just as we, we mentioned jurisdictions, because the Restaurants Association of Ireland, uh, Chief Executive Adrian Cummins, uh, has been reported in the Times as looking to consider a tourism arrangement between Northern Ireland, Great Britain and, and Ireland and the Republic, uh, so the UK and Ireland basically, that would allow vaccinated people to tra- travel freely between the Republic and the UK. Um, but obviously, with the UK programme uh, going uh, at great speed, uh, and I noticed uh, a shortfall in vaccines this past week in, in the Republic in terms of the numbers available. Uh, they were about 20,000 short of what they'd hoped to be able to administer. Um, that, that seems to be a bit ambitious in terms of citizens of the Republic of Ireland going anywhere much uh, in the run-up to um yeah, I think it's a great idea in theory to be trying to open up um, tourist routes from whichever countries or between whichever countries. But I mean, yes, it has to be, or at least the, the idea is that it has to be based on vaccination rates and, and um, a certain degree of safety. And, and you know, if, if we're in Northern Ireland or in the, the, the mainland or whatever, if we're um, building up this kind of resistance to the disease through and, and through uh, vaccination and driving down case numbers and people are coming in from the Republic or other places that are less well covered by the vaccine. I imagine that you know poses a risk. So um, yeah, I think he's maybe getting a bit ahead of himself there. I, I don't know whether it's interesting or amusingly, uh, but uh, it seems that Sinn Féin also thinks he might be getting ahead of himself uh, because their, their tourism spokes 
woman in the same Times article suggested that traveling across the border for vaccinated people would rely on public health advice and that a vaccine passport would have to be adopted. Now, when I first read that sentence, I thought, well, maybe she's just talking about the Irish sea border, given that that's the one that Sinn Féin uh, is always so keen these days to emphasize and to to uh, talk about with great enthusiasm. But no, uh, uh, the quote goes on, travel to the north should definitely be looked at considering we don't need a boat or plane to get there, it's just a driveway. So once we get a go ahead from Nefet, which is the Southern uh, group that looks after um, COVID uh, issues, um, we need to look at allowing vaccinated people to travel. So clearly uh, Sinn Féin, has a firm view that um, at the moment, anyone who is not vaccinated should be uh, not permitted to come across the border into the north, and I'm presuming vice versa. Then we'll we'll look forward to the summer, David, and um, our health officials setting up uh, checkpoints in the border and stopping uh, people from the Republic of Ireland traveling. I think think Sinn Féin would be demanding it. If that's what Sinn Féin... um, if that's what Sinn Féin is demanding, then that's what Sinn Féin shall have. All, all joking aside, as somebody who, who might uh, well wish to avail of Dublin Airport at some point, <laughs> I don't think that that's um, particularly uh, a helpful suggestion. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of parodying it a little bit. But, but it does. Yes, it, 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 it's, it raises interesting, um, interesting points. It does bring us back to this uh, lack of any clear sense of direction. And again, with the roadmap, I noticed in the in the worship bit, uh, they're talking about a phase two where people can get back to worship. The, the restrictions on worship are actually no more than they were last December. Am I right saying the churches the, themselves? The churches have, of, yes, yes. Yeah, because the churches themselves have voluntarily decided to step back, but there's no reason why they can't open up churches again uh, and have personal worship in churches because the law doesn't prevent them from doing that. So the idea that that the law now is of no relevance and it's all about what the executive says can or can't be done without any reference to the law seems to be something that has gone, first of all, unnoticed, and second of all, uh, it seems to be the way that this is being presented. Is it just about possible that neither Robin nor his officials remember what the law actually is and what well, the and what the rest is? and the rest of the executive? I mean, if, if this was a consensus uh, around what needed to happen, then they all must have taken that view. You can't just blame one; you have no. to look at everybody. No. Um, and unless there was a change in the law, by the way, uh, and new regulations were brought in, the fact is that there is nothing to prevent a congregation meeting under the guidelines as they were last December? No. And I mean, over over the whole kind of variety, over all of the pathways, there might not be, you know, that kind of flagrant mistake, but it's very clear. A lot of these stages, even even the order of the stages, don't make an awful lot of sense. I noticed in terms of sport, I mean, I'm I'm a great um, football fan and one of my big things for after this lockdown. I really want to go to Windsor Park and watch Northern Ireland or even preferably yeah. go away and watch them somewhere. But the roadmap that the executive has set out, um, you know, allows people to play five-a-side football before spectators are actually outside in, in football grounds. And while, you know, from a 
health point of view. Um, it's good to get people back playing playing football, playing five aside or whatever else from an, an infection kind of standpoint. I, I mean, I, make any sense? I, I mean, the the other uh, point made by Robin Swan in that Nolan interview was that there is no exact science, but we know that. We know that science changes relevant to what's known at any given time uh, in line with what's coming in and what, what's not. Similarly, he says, I'd love to be able to announce a simple mathematical formula um, uh, on how the data will determine all our decisions. Um, but he then goes on to say, there are too many complexities and uncertainties. We can't offer people false assurance. People aren't looking for assurances, they're looking for a roadmap. The, the idea of some that because they, the NISRA produces lists of data every day, uh, that somehow they fulfill the data obligation, that they're being transparent, that's not really the issue at hand. The real issue is, unless you understand how the health department is interpreting that data uh, in respect of how it is making recommendations or how it is then presenting that data to the executive means that that data is largely meaningless. Yes. I mean, what people want is um, clarity in decision-making rather than a mathematical formula per se, because I, we know that that's not possible. Neither do they want lists of, of data without any interpretation. They just want the decisions to be linked back to the, the data, to be referenced back to the data and to be explained um, by the data so that as we move through this roadmap, it's not just a matter of trust. It's not just a matter of, well, the Department of Health or one of the other departments says it's okay, so now we can go because that's not transparent government. And it's not enough just to say that people won't understand the data. And this is this is something, this is a, a kind of a trend that we've seen more widely and it's driven by social media and this idea that um, social media generates distortion of facts or, or, or fake news or however you want to put it. But that's now being used as an argument to kind of deprive people of information and to obscure uh, certain issues. So it's become a, it's become a matter of uh, transparency or, or lack of. All that people ask is that as we move through this roadmap, as we move through the different um, stages, that it makes sense, that it can be defended with reference to data. It's not some sort of tick box exercise, but we do need to see a rationale for this because the whole thing, the kind of ideology that has come behind this has taken on a life of its own. And in order for people to have confidence that there is a, a, an argument and a rationale behind this, they need to, to see more transparency in the workings out, as it were, you know, the, the old idea about about not putting your exam answer in the paper, but showing your workings out, and then you might get some points for it. Well, maybe the same principle applies to the executive. Well, it's a good example in the, in the you, you're asked a question, you give an answer, people say, well, how did you arrive at that answer? There's no point in telling us that there are too many complexities and uncertainties. What, so we, the public, can't understand that. We're stupid. We can't absorb or in any way evaluate complexity well, and uncertainty and put that against data and outcomes. I think that is incredibly condescending to mm. the general public and particularly to our media, because surely if those complexities and uncertainties 
were at least explained in the context of where we're at or what the what it might mean for that roadmap. I think the media would be perfectly capable of taking that on board, evaluating it and saying, on balance, this is probably right, or there are still big questions to ask. Well, the whole business of governance is riddled with complexities and uncertainties. And I mean, if you want to go down that route, you may as well say that, um, that, that, that people shouldn't have an input into any of those debates and that they're all far too complicated for the general public to understand. And actually, I know that that's an attitude that, yeah. you know, we're prevalent. being quite prevalent um, and, and particularly as Brexit unfolded and all that, and all that kind of thing. That, is just this kind of condescending assumption that people won't understand it and that they're not qualified to take a view on it. The whole skill of, of government surely is to be able to explain yourself in a way that people can understand and, and to put that message across. And the, the, the role of our media and our uh, newspapers and, 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 and our TV is to break through the kind of um, jargon and, and complexities and lay these issues out in a way that they become explicable. So, I mean, it, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. And I think, you know, Robin Swan's been wheeled out. No, no doubt this is a, a kind of a, a, an executive paper and Robin Swan's been wheeled out to defend it. And he's kind of getting himself knotted up in the in 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 the in, in contortions of logic trying to defend it. But I think that comes back that you know with complexity and uncertainty comes indecision. Uh, no one has actually decided anything much. You know, pretty pictures and indications that are I, I mean I, I have no idea who sat around the table uh, with pizzas to to come up with that set of, of of graphics. But the general public in Northern Ireland deserve a great deal more transparency. And it's just not there at the present time. Yeah. I mean, if the officials and uh, politicians who sat around and came up with this document were having pizza, I hope it was margarita because they didn't uh, deserve anything tastier <laughs> than that. But uh, yes, in the, in the words of um, the great Alan Hansen, indecision is final. It pretty much sums this up. We, we can't say much more there because I, I, I think it's just they're defending almost the indefensible because you just don't have enough information well, to be able to understand it. You know, the, the, the thing about it that um, maybe cheers me up a little bit, um, David, because I felt uh, quite almost alienated from the reaction to lockdown among a lot of people in Northern Ireland, but I've heard nothing positive um, about this roadmap whatsoever, either online or um, among the people that I talk to. And uh, I think the, the executives, if they had any credibility, it's taken a huge hit. Other people will stand for this over, over the months to come, but, you know, whether, whether they're happy to see other parts of the UK move ahead while we remain sort of constrained in what we can do until June or July. Surely at, at some point there's going to be a, a, a kind of a backlash and that they cannot ignore. Well, I was very surprised at the speed at which memes started to, memes or whatever I pronounce that, started to pop up in WhatsApp groups and, and, and uh, on Twitter. Within a few hours, everybody was going, you know, seriously, people, seriously. And as you say, it is slightly encouraging to hope that, uh, and this is the one bit of hope from that roadmap, if you like, is that people are waking up to the way they're being played uh, by, uh, officials uh, and by our politicians who seem to be 
uh, almost scared uh, to be bold uh, and to actually uh, cut through the jargon and the complexities and uh, the uncertainties, which they are paid to actually cut through and to actually present a policy for going forward in our society. Yeah, we can't allow our system of, of governance to to rest on some sort of massive BMJ journal article or something. So, um, you know, yes, it, it, absolutely. Um, we need people to stop uh, hiding behind um, sort of scientific jargon and, and the idea that the data is impenetrable and start to you know, either put trust in people and also to explain the, their reasoning set out exactly if, if we do need um, to be restrained for, for weeks to come why that is and, uh, and, and how that can change. Well, I think that's a good point to stop and to leave that question open. We'll come back in a, in a couple of weeks' time well, after the 18th, I guess, which is their first review date. Uh, and let's see if it's any more clear and in any way more transparent. Thanks all. Okay. Thanks, David.